Well, good morning, Houston Church. Glad you've chosen to join us this morning. And to those joining us from around the globe, I'm sure there's one or two from somewhere else that's not here in Oklahoma, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so welcome to all of you all. We are so looking forward to meeting with you face to face and worshiping with you. And um, so we are just looking forward to that. And, and we know that's just a few short weeks away. So uh, until that time, we're thankful that we get to worship together this way. And so thank you for joining us today to worship together. Him now, how great, how 
Easton Church. Uh, another week here, regardless of whether you listen in the morning or the evening, this will be week number nine that we're coming to you in this way. And Lord willing, we have one more week like this. So uh, this is uh, week nine. We will do this in anticipation one more time for um, May the 24th. And then our target date currently is still Sunday, May the 31st to be able to regather in person. And uh, you can pray for us because on Monday of this coming week, on uh, the 18th, Monday the 18th, the elders will be meeting again and we will be meeting to consider whatever new updates the governor has put out as we look toward that target date and consider is that still a good target date and what does it look like for us to, to regather if that is. So um, the other thing that, uh, that you'll start to notice over the next two weeks now as we move toward that target date is we're going to make some transitions from our online presence. And so you're going to see us to start to, to, to pull back some on the online presence in anticipation of us moving towards meeting in person on uh, the 31st. 
And uh, our commitment to you is going to be to continue to stay in contact with you. So as we move toward the, the 31st, then we will start to, to communicate the things that we think need to be communicated, both in preparation for gathering in light of whatever the guidelines are, and then also just some regular things that we might need to communicate to you um, that, that uh, would apply to that, that date. So keep up, keep up with uh, communications through our Facebook. Hopefully you're getting emails. If not, please let us know. You can email us to let us know or text us or message us and let us know that you're not getting those. Um, and then uh, uh, you can get in contact with any of us staff. All right. Well, let, let's pray this morning and then let's jump in here. Father, thanks for this morning, this evening, this afternoon, whenever people are watching and listening. I pray, God, that you would guide us now, that your spirit speak through your word that you would open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things in your word and speak to us today something that has our name on it and make us open to hear. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to talk to you today about wisdom, but particularly about the type of wisdom that God gives because it's different. And the Bible has a lot to say about wisdom. I can remember when I had switched churches my freshman year of college and I had grown up in a denominational church um, pretty much since I was in third grade and um, going to a non-denominational church, which would be very similar to what Houston Church is like. It was an independent non-denominational church. And I remember making that switch and I remember interacting early on with some of the guys there, some of the men there. And I remember being struck by the depth of wisdom that these men had, that I had not been exposed to um, on any kind of regular basis. And if I had, it had been exposure on, on maybe a, a brief basis. I can think of one other, other person throughout my interactions before going to this church that I may have been exposed to this kind of wisdom that just set them apart. Um, it, there, was, there was a clear difference in the way they thought and viewed the world and made decisions the way they thought about relationships and how they handled relationships, not, not even just romantic relationships. I'm just talking about interpersonal relationships. There was just something different. And I can remember the first time I sat down with, with one of them and I had, I had gotten into a pretty, pretty scary spot financially where I was running out of money as a freshman in college and didn't really know what to do. I had not ever been exposed to a budget at that point. And so um, I was panicking. I was out of, out of sorts. I didn't know what to do. And I was sitting down with this, this man from the church and he was counseling me on budgets. And I, I mean, it's something now that I would take for granted, but at that point I'd never heard this. How to manage your money in a way that bring God, brings God glory. And, and, and I'm, I'm listening to this. I'm going, man, I'm soaking this up. And then I can remember um, just different interactions and just hearing how they thought through decisions they made in life that I'd, I'd just never been exposed to. It stood out to me. And I remember thinking, I want that. I want that depth. I want that difference that, that they have that I've not been exposed to before that I clearly did not have. And what they had was the wisdom that, God gives, the type of wisdom that we find the Bible talks about. And it's a wisdom that's different than what other people outside of the church, people outside of a relationship with the Lord would live according to. Because there's lots of people who pursue a form of wisdom, 
But I've also noticed now as I've been exposed to more leaders and I've, as, as I've been exposed to more people and the different circles that I tend to run in, I can identify usually pretty quickly when someone is espousing what they think to be wisdom and I'm listening to it and I'm thinking, that is so empty. There, there, there's absolutely no wisdom in what this person is saying, yet they and perhaps many of the people surrounding them. So right now I'm thinking maybe in, in some of my military settings where I'm listening to leaders lead people out of what they think is true wisdom. And I'm thinking going, it doesn't hold. Like you can't even, that's like trying to hold water, what you're just saying there. It's not going to work. Right, but it sounds wise because maybe it sounds depth, uh, deep, it sounds pithy, um, perhaps it's new to people, and people are grasping for things that, that they can stand on, and I just, I, I can sometimes see it so clearly, and I'm thinking, this is the difference between the type of wisdom that God gives and the type of wisdom that everybody else thinks is wise, but it's really not. It's the world's wisdom. And so I want to talk to you today about God's wisdom. And we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 3. We've now transitioned from King David to his son, King Solomon. And you remember the last time we had uh, talked about David in uh, last week was Psalm 51. But even before that was 2 Samuel 7, God had given David a promise. And that promise was that God was going to uh, keep a son, a person that belonged to David's family on the throne, and that that person, that his son actually that would follow him, would be the one who builds God a house, a temple. And God would, would be faithful to David's family to build him a house that would be his family, his descendants, a, dis, a dynasty. Right, and so that's where we pick up with King Solomon. He is now the king, and um, God is God is going to reveal Himself to Solomon. So here's what we're going to find this morning uh, as we talk about God's wisdom. When God's people, okay, you, me, if you belong to uh, Christ, we're God's people. When God's people act in God's wisdom, God gets the glory. When God's people act in God's wisdom, God gets the glory. And so let's take a look at what, what, what type of wisdom God gives because we find out in the story that God gives wisdom. And so we're going to read in 1 Kings chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1 there. We're not going to read this whole chapter. I'm going to summarize the second half of the chapter. But let's take a look. Second King, uh, 1 Kings chapter 3 verse 1. So Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. And so we're introduced here uh, to the situation with Solomon. And uh, Solomon marries the daughter of Pharaoh. Um, the author of Kings doesn't say anything about that. But it should surprise us because God discouraged that the people of Israel marrying outside of the people of, of Israel. But the, 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 the author doesn't say anything about that. He just says it and moves on, which is, which is interesting. Um, because later on, the type of women that Solomon married, because he had something, I think it was um, 300 wives and 700 concubines. Okay, now I know 
I just put some of you in a spot where you have to explain what a concubine is. Some of you have already done that. Um, send your kids to me. I'll explain it to them. Crystal clear. Um, but, but Solomon is going to have his downfall because God said, don't marry their, their wives or their daughters because their daughters will entice you to worship other gods. And fast forward through Solomon's story, and that's what's going to happen. But the author tells us he married the daughter of, of Pharaoh, which uh, would have brought great peace between Israel and Egypt. And then he took, uh, so he took Pharaoh's daughter and he had her living with him in the city of David, which would later be called Jerusalem because she, he hadn't built her a house yet. But Solomon was a great builder. He built himself a house, a palace. We're told he built a house of the Lord. So Solomon built the temple, just as God told David, I'll have your son do that for me. And then Solomon built the walls around Jerusalem. He's a great builder. All right. Now we're also told in verse two that the people of Israel had to sacrifice at high places. Again, the author doesn't say anything negative about it, although that would have been a problem because it's, it's not where the Lord would have them worship, right? Where they would have them, have them sacrifice. Now, now they were going there, the author tells us, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. The temple hadn't been built yet, so in the absence of a temple, the people were going to worship in high places. Why high places? Because that was a common place to worship. Because remember, in the ancient Near East mindset, the gods lived in the sky above the mountains. So if you wanted to go worship the gods or your god, you would go to a higher place. And there you would worship. That mentality was very common. In fact, the city of David, the city of Jerusalem, is built on a mountain, a plateau, a high place, right? So, so that, that kind of thinking filtered into the people's minds and, and they took that though and they went and worshiped at different high places. But we go on in verse three and four, Solomon loved the Lord. So now we get some commentary about where Solomon's heart is in relationship to the Lord at this point. He loved the Lord. No other king after Solomon is described in this way as having loved the Lord. He walked in the statutes of David, his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. So the author seems to indicate here, okay, there was something a little off about this. Solomon loved the Lord, but only he, he offered sacrifices at the high place. All right, and then verse four, the king went uh, to Gibeon to sacrifice there for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Now, here's what we know from the parallel version of this story in First Chronicles. What we find out in First Chronicles, when this story is told, is that currently at this point, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and the altar of sacrifice, the bronze altar, is currently located at Gibeon. And so, so Solomon would travel to Gibeon where the tabernacle and where the bronze altar are, are currently located. That's where he would go and offer sacrifices. Now we find out in just a few more verses that the Ark of the Covenant, remember the box where I had the mercy seat on top with the cherubim where God's presence physically dwelled, that was currently located in Jerusalem. But the tent and the, the tabernacle, the, the burnt, uh, the, uh, the, the altar, those were located in a different place. They hadn't been moved yet. So Solomon travels where, where, where the, uh, sac the altar of sacrifice is, where the, 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 man, I can't even speak, where the bronze altar is, right? All right, so he goes there and he's offering a great number of sacrifices on that altar. Look at verse five. Verse five, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon. It's the first time the Lord appears to Solomon in this kind of way. Appears to Solomon 
in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. All right, so now we've got God revealing himself to Solomon. Ask of me what you want. What would I give you? I mean, so we, the Lord's clearly pleased with what Solomon is showing his favor and is being faithful to Solomon, just as he said to David that he would be. And so God says, what do you want? What, what should I give you? Look with me at verse six there. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. You have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. Pause. Because here's what, what Solomon's acknowledging. He starts out by saying, God, you've been faithful. You've done just as you said you would do to my father David. You have shown your faithful, and he says steadfast love. That's that Hebrew word we've talked about several times, hesed, right? You've shown that kind of love to your servant David and therefore to his son, to me, to sit on the throne. In other words, God, you're doing exactly what you said you would do. You are being faithful. So Solomon's praising God for this. We go on in verse seven. And so now, O Lord, my God, oh now, O oh Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or to come in. Verse eight, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for, for multitude. So, so Solomon's saying, all right, so, so I'm acknowledging God that you have made me king. In place of my father. You've placed me on this throne. Now, if you read 1 Kings 1 and 2, it's a pretty tumultuous rise for Solomon to get to the spot of being king. There was some division in the kingdom. There was some competition. There's some bloodshed. And, and so verse, chapters 1 and 2 of 1 Kings are, are pretty chaotic. And it's a very chaotic picture of the kingdom. It's very unstable. But now by the time you get to chapter 3, it's stable. And Solomon's saying, you put me here. You have been faithful to put me here here. And he says, I'm but a little child and I do not know how to come in or come out. Um, it's not likely what Solomon is indicating. It's not that Solomon was young as a child. Like he wasn't an adolescent or a young child. What Solomon is saying, this phrase is commonly used to describe inexperience. Right? So, so most people think that Solomon was referring to his inexperience because that very next phrase, I do not know how to go out or come in, is a reference to his inexperience as a leader. He doesn't know how to lead wars. He doesn't know how to do, lead military um, um, organizations and battle. He doesn't know how to do that. He has no experience in that. He's recognizing that he has stepped into a role for which he has no experience. He is in over his head. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been put into a situation where you're expected to lead or you're given great amount of responsibility and you realize I'm in over my head? I don't have any experience in this. And the experience that I have leading up to this is not what I'm currently facing. And you, you don't know what's next. I mean, I've been there several times. Um, by God's grace, um, as a 37-year-old at this point, by God's grace, I have been several times placed into leadership positions at young ages. Before I came here, I was um, placed in a, a position as a 26-year-old to lead a staff of nine people and a, and a department at a Bible college a department that oversaw the recruiting, the admissions, the academic advising. Um, I was responsible. My department was responsible for the numbers. I hate that kind of pressure, 
right? That's a, that's a, that's a, a seat, that's a hot seat. People, people come and go in that kind of position because if the numbers aren't going well, then you're to blame, someone's got to fall. And I was placed in that position and, and I can remember thinking, oh God, I, I don't have any experience in this. Um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't really led people in this kind of capacity up to this point. I was given responsibility for a budget that was several hundred thousand dollars. Um, and I had thankfully been learning how to budget on my own, but I'd never led an organization and been responsible for a department's budget of that kind of size. And, and I'm sitting in meetings where we're making decisions about the direction of the college and the direction of departments and we're, we're vision casting and then implementing visions. And I'm, and I'm going, God, I, I'm in over my head. The people I'm sitting at tables with have been doing this for years now. They've got experience at other institutions of education and here I am. And, and, and I, I can remember thinking, Lord, I need your wisdom. I need wisdom because you've placed me in a position and I'm in over my head. And then I come here, I was 29 when I came here back in October of 2012. This is the first church I've pastored and Lord willing, it might be the only church I pastor, right? And, and, and I'm here for the long haul, but I can remember thinking, Lord, I know you've been preparing me and these people are taking a risk because they're going, they're, they're taking quite a large jump backwards in age and experience from the previous pastor that they've had. And they're going with a 29 year old who's never pastored a church before. And at that time we were, we were smaller in staff. There was just a, a few of us and I was the only full-timer. And now you know where we've grown. We've, we've got seven staff total, four full-time, three part-time. And, and I can remember the early days of being here when, when I was officing where Russ is currently officing now, right, right up in the front of the building. And I can remember many days starting my day, coming in, kneeling down at the desk and going, Lord, I need great wisdom for what you've called me to and great humility because I don't know how to lead. I mean, I, I can take what I've been trained in doing. I can, I can take the different development um, that I've had, but ultimately, God, I'm, I'm leading people and I have no experience. I've never been down this road before. And then now as, as, a, as an organization, um, we, have, we have said this many times at our elders meetings. We have for really the last six, seven years, constantly been in positions where we've never been as a church organization before. We're constantly at, at here at Houston Church as we're growing, as we're, we're changing, adjusting to what's going on around us. We were constantly in positions where we've never been. And so we're constantly as leadership, every elder meeting, as we open up and we're praying together, one of the most common things that is being asked and pleaded with the Lord is, Lord, we need your wisdom for the decisions that might come up tonight, for, for the direction that, that we need to go. You've placed us in this position, Lord, to, to lead your people and you've entrusted us with the care of, of this community. And God, we need your wisdom because we don't know what to do. And we don't want to lead according to what we think is best. We want to lead and shepherd according to what you would have us do. And Solomon says, God, you've placed me as king over your people. 
right? And, and you see it in verse eight, your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen. In other words, God, I didn't gather this group of people. I didn't make this nation into this nation that, that came out of nowhere. God, you made this nation. You made this people. You picked Abraham out of, out of the midst of the people that were rebelling at Babel. You picked him and you made promises to him and you made him into this great multitude that now is too many to count. Do you remember what God said to Abraham? I will make you into a great nation. And he, he would reiterate that promise and he would say, look at the stars. If you can even count them, that's how many descendants you will have. Look what God has done. Solomon's going, you've done it, God. There's so many people here. You have been faithful to your promise to Abraham and, and to Isaac and to Jacob, to my father David. You have been faithful. You place me here. And look what he asks. Verse nine. Verse nine. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this, your great people. Solomon asks for an understanding mind, for, for wisdom, a lot of translations would say. Now it's interesting because the word behind understanding mind, now the, the most common Hebrew word for wisdom is not used here. It'll be used here in a minute, but it's not the word Solomon uses. See, Solomon uses a different word that's also familiar. See, the most common Hebrew word for wisdom is chokmah. Right, that's fun to say, chokmah. Right, and, and God's gonna say that word in a minute, but that's not what, what Solomon says here. Solomon uses a word that we've seen before. It's a word that's related to the, the, the Hebrew word shema. Now, some of you, that, that sounds familiar, shema. You see, because that word shows up in Deuteronomy chapter six. In fact, it's a very popular verse among Jewish people. It's called the Shema, right? Because that's how Deuteronomy six, I think it's verse four particularly that starts out. And it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, Shema Ha-Israel. Shema, hear. Now in Hebrew, the, the idea of hearing is not simply taking in something audibly. The idea between, behind hearing is that what you hear turns into obedience, right? So to hear, O Israel, would be to obey, O Israel. And so what Solomon is saying here is, God, give me an understanding mind. And the word mind, it's been translated in English as mind because it makes sense for us, but it's heart in Hebrew because in the Hebrew mindset way of thinking, the heart was where the, the, uh, the, the mind, the center of the person's thoughts were. So we take heart today. It wouldn't make sense for us in English to say, give me an understanding heart because we think heart and we think emotions. Uh, Hebrews, when they thought emotions, they thought intestines. That's fun, isn't it? So if they wanted to talk about their emotions, they would talk about their gut, their intestines, right? Their bowels. When they wanted to talk about their, their, their seat of reason, their, their intellect, they would talk about their heart. So, but for us as Westerners, we think about our seat of intellectual and our, and our reasoning as our mind and our heart is actually our emotions. And so, so we come out with understanding mind for us. But what, what, what Solomon's ultimately saying is give me a, a listening heart. In our words, we would say, give me a listening mind, right? 
so that I might govern your people. In other words, help me to be able to listen to those who are more experienced than me. Help me to listen to you, Lord, to gain wisdom from you as I govern your people. Because I need what you have to give. I need what others more experienced have that you place around me have to give so that I might govern your people and be able to discern good from evil. Because when, I, when I'm listening to those around me, God, when I'm listening to you, then I will be able to discern good from evil. If I don't have that kind of a, a disposition before you as a leader, God, if I'm not open to listening, then I'm not gonna be able to govern the way you would have me govern. I'm not gonna be able to lead the way you'd have me lead. I'm not gonna be able to discern good from evil. So Solomon says, give me a, give me a listening heart, an understanding mind. Give me wisdom. So we go on in verse 10. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, verse 11, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself a long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise, there's the word chokmah, wise and understanding mind, so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. Sorry, I jumped to, to the verse 12 there. Now verse 13. I give you also what you have not asked. So now God's gonna go beyond. He's gonna say, I give you what you ask for. But because you didn't ask for wealth and because you didn't ask for the death of your enemies and long life, but you ask for wisdom, that pleases me. I'm gonna give that to you, but I'm gonna go beyond that now because listen, this is how good God is. God doesn't give us what we need. Oftentimes he gives us more than what we need. He also gives us what we want. And sometimes he gives us things that we're not even asking for, but that bless us. And here he goes, I'm gonna give you beyond what you've asked, verse 13, both riches and honor so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. Verse 14, and if you walk in my ways, so Solomon, if you're obedient to me, I'll also, uh, by keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So Solomon, I'm gonna give you what you didn't ask for wealth, and, and, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you um, um, also length of days. You'll live long if you obey me like your father did. So how good is God? Have you ever experienced, in fact, if you have, put it down in the comments below. When, when has God, you've asked God for something that you need it, and you didn't ask him for, for more than that, and he gave you what you needed, but then he gave you far more than what you needed, and he gave you stuff you didn't even ask for that just blessed you to no end. Put that down in the comments, share that with us, because that's gonna bless all of us if you share that with us. How has God blessed you beyond what you asked? And that's what he does for Solomon. God gives wisdom. And look at verse 15. Verse 15. And so Solomon awoke and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Covenant. So there's where the Ark of the Covenant's located in Jerusalem. And he offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. God gives wisdom. Okay, as we move into these next verses, I'm gonna summarize the story. But what we find out is the wisdom that God gives is greater than the wisdom of the world. And so now we see Solomon's wisdom that God gave him tested. And so we have this scene where Solomon is ruling on the throne. And this was a 
common thing. It could happen where a dispute couldn't be settled and so it would be brought before the king. And that's what's happening. So we've got these two prostitutes, these two ladies of the, of the town. <clears throat> and they both get pregnant. And they both give birth. And they're living in the same house. And they're sleeping and they co-slept at that time, right? Nobody had a problem with co-sleeping at that time. But it happened that one night while they were sleeping, one of the ladies rolled over on her baby and did not realize it. And the baby smothered and died. And in the middle of the night, she woke up and she realized that she had laid on her baby and the baby had died. And she looked over at the other lady and the other lady's baby was sitting there nursing on her. And that baby was alive and that, that lady was still sleeping. So she takes her dead baby and she goes and switches out the babies. So she takes the live baby and replaces it with the dead baby all the while they are the lay sleeping. Then the morning comes and the lady who slept all night long wakes up and finds out that the baby sleeping next to her is dead and that the other lady's baby is alive. And as this lady looks at her baby now that's laying next to her and, and this baby is dead, she's looking closely and she's thinking, that's not my baby. Like that, that doesn't look like my baby. That's my baby. But the other lady, of course, whose baby had died is denying it. No, that's not your baby. That's my baby. Your baby died in the night. My baby is alive. And so this dispute was brought before Solomon. And they explain all of this to Solomon. So it's a she said, she said type of situation, right? And so there's really no way to, to figure this out, right? There's no, there was no DNA testing at the time, so you couldn't do that. Right? There's no pictures to go, see, I took a picture. Here's my baby. They clearly had a birthmark. There's none of that. So Solomon's listening to it and he goes, all right. So you lady, number one, you say that the baby that's alive is yours and that the baby that's dead is hers. But you lady, number two, you say that the baby that's alive is yours and that the baby that's dead is hers. And so it's, who, how are you going to decide this? So he says, all right, bring me a sword. And a sword is brought to him. And he says, what we're going to do is we're going to cut this baby in half. And since we can't decide who's, who the baby belongs to, the live baby, we're going to cut this baby in half and you'll each get some of them. <laughs> it's absurd, right? It seems absolutely absurd. And the lady whose baby it actually was, Inside of her, her heart, it says her womb was yearning for, but her heart was yearning for this baby. And she's going, no way, no way. Her maternal instinct kicks in. She goes, oh, king, don't let it be that way. Just give her the baby. The other lady, on the other hand, whose baby had died, she says, sounds good to me. Neither one of us gets them. We'll both take half. <laughs> it's, so, it's so absurd, right? But Solomon in that moment, he says, lady number two, whose heart was yearning for the baby and wanted to just go ahead and give the baby away so that he wouldn't be cut in half, the baby's yours. And I know that because your maternal instinct kicked in. Oh, the wisdom of Solomon, right? And so... Um, God gives wisdom that's greater than the wisdom of the world. Look at the response in verse 28. It's at the end of that story there. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Remember I started out and I said, when God's people act in God's wisdom, God gets the glory. 
Solomon, God's king, acted in God's wisdom. Everyone heard about this wisdom that was from God on Solomon. And God's going to get the glory in that. God gives wisdom. And the wisdom that God gives, man, it cuts through all of the chaotic mess and noise of the world's wisdom. It stands apart. People can tell the difference and the depth of a person who is acting in the wisdom of someone who is far greater than them. People can tell when someone who is younger and inexperienced in life is speaking and acting in wisdom that transcends their years. And, and yet maybe they're giving that wisdom to someone who should have it if you just base it on years. But God's wisdom is not based on, on years and experience in life. Absolutely you gain wisdom in that way. But the type of wisdom God gives transcends that. It's greater than the wisdom of the world. And God's people, when they act in God's wisdom, God gets the glory. Listen, now, here's the question you should be asking. How do I get that kind of wisdom? Like me, I wanted it. How do I get that kind of wisdom? Well, the Bible talks a lot about pursuing wisdom. The book of Proverbs talks a lot about pursuing wisdom and inclining your ear to God's word and, and listening to the instruction of your father and mother. And those are all great things. And absolutely, yeah, that's how you go about gaining this wisdom. But let me tell you the starting point. To get wisdom, you must come to Christ. You see, you're not going to get the wisdom that God gives apart from a relationship with God that happens through Christ. You see, in the New Testament, Jesus comes on the scene and in Matthew chapter 12, the, there's, some, uh, there's some people who are trying to trap him. And they're asking for a sign. Jesus, give us a sign that we might know who you are that you are who you say you are. And Jesus rebukes them for asking for such a sign. And he's, he, he says, you know, um, Jews ask for signs and you're not going to get one. And he says, it's going to be like the days of Noah, uh, jo Jonah, you know. And he says, one, the people of Nineveh, because Jonah went and preached the people of Nineveh and they repented. And he says, listen, the people of Nineveh are going to stand up one day and they're going to judge you because they at least heard the word of God from the prophet of God and they responded. But the people facing Jesus were not. Then the second example he gives is this, right here in verse 42. He says, the queen of the south, which is, is like south of Egypt, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, because Solomon's wisdom, God said, I'm gonna make you like no other king has ever been. And people came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. The queen of the south rose up and she went to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And Jesus says, now behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Of course, he's talking about himself, right? The queen of the south rose up to go hear the wisdom of Solomon. It was great. There's nothing like it up to his time. But now something greater than Solomon is here. And then again, Paul, now in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, he says this, he says, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, those are the people that God calls, who then respond to God's call. To those who are called, 
both Jews and Greeks. Christ, the power of God, and look, the wisdom of God. Christ is the very wisdom of God. How do you get wisdom to get the wisdom of God? You must come to Christ, the wisdom of God, the one who is greater than Solomon. And listen, when God's people act in God's wisdom, God gets the glory. And, and, and the type of wisdom that God gives is that type of wisdom that, that helps us to be able to discern good from evil, right from wrong. Right? It's the type of wisdom that helps us to cut through those gray areas in life where the Bible doesn't speak and the situations that we face all the time where the Bible has no explicit statement. Perhaps it has principles, maybe it doesn't, but we need God's wisdom to guide us or, or we're making life's decisions and they're major transition points and we're trying to decide, what do I do here? Or we're making decisions about finances or we're making decisions about jobs or we're making decisions about how to parent our kids and how to discipline our kids and all these types of decisions. We're asking God, um, the, we need guidance, we need wisdom because we can't necessarily find anywhere in the scriptures that talk about this kind of situation. That's the kind of wisdom that God gives. And apart from Christ, you're not going to know it. And when, when Jesus says something greater than Solomon is here, as wise as Solomon was, and listen, you read through the Proverbs, many of the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, we're going to look at that next week, one of those. Many of the book of Proverbs were written by Solomon. His, his incredible wisdom. And the story we just saw, incredible wisdom. You want wisdom like that? God gives wisdom. And in Christ the very one who is the wisdom of God, that is greater than Solomon, you and I, through faith in Christ, are joined to the very one who is the wisdom of God, who is greater than Solomon. And, and James says, do you lack wisdom? In the book of James, he says, if you lack wisdom, ask God, and he'll give it, right? I mean, so you want wisdom? You come to Christ, and God gives that wisdom in Christ. See, the, the wisdom of God is a wisdom that is greater than the world. And when God's people act in God's wisdom, God gets the glory. And so you want to know, you know, if you're acting in the wisdom of God or the wisdom of the world, ask yourself, who gets the glory in this? Like, who's going to be elevated in this? Am I going to be elevated in this? And it stops at me? Or am I going to be elevated in this? And it points to God. Am, am I going to be able to, to operate in this and people are going to know that that comes from something far greater than me? Or am I going to be glorified in this? Am I operating in a way that everyone in the world would say, this is wise, this is what makes sense? Or am I operating in a way that transcends what makes sense? Because see, listen, the wisdom of God is seen and displayed in the gospel. That's what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians. And, and it seemed wise to God to send Jesus to come and live a perfect, obedient life and, and then to die in the place of guilty people. And through that death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, through that, God would then bring sinful people to himself. That seems absolutely foolish to the world. See, people look at that and they go, wait a minute, you mean to tell me that your sins are forgiven because someone else died? for your sins, and if you just trust in him, that your sins will be forgiven? Yeah. You mean you don't have to do anything to earn back favor or penance? You don't, you don't have to repay? You don't have to, to live and outweigh the good and the, from the bad? And 
That makes no sense. No, because that's foolishness to people of the world. People who, who have not trusted in Christ, who don't have the, the spirit-enabled mind. Their natural, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 2. It, it makes no sense. See, the wisdom of the world is live good. Measure out what you, what you think would be good to do in your life. Be, be, be generous where it makes sense to be generous. Do good for others. Give some time to that. And hopefully you're going to tip the scales or you'll be all right, right? Do good for others. But God's wisdom displayed in Christ, who is the wisdom of God, was I'm going to come in the very form of humanity who I've created, who have rebelled against me. And I am going to live a perfectly obedient life, which they cannot do. And I'm going to do it in their place so that then... Jesus, who's God in the flesh, will then die an innocent death in the place of guilty people so that his death would be a worthy sacrifice that God would accept as a God who is just. Remember Romans 3 from last week? God is both just and the justifier. So God is dealing with the sin problem in this worthy sacrifice. He's just, the, he, he's, he's, he's dealing with the sin problem. He's just. And then yet through Christ also, he's justifying people. He's declaring them as righteous before them because of the very righteousness of Christ who died on the cross and lived a perfectly obedient life in their place. He now applies that to them so that God can be said to be both just and justifier. That is the gospel. That is how God in his wisdom is able to take sinful people and deal with their sin problem justly without compromising his character and yet bring sinful people, guilty people into his family, into his kingdom, give them a new righteousness that is not their own but belongs to Christ so that they now have met the standard of God in Christ, that they might have all that Christ has to offer, all that belongs to Christ. That's the wisdom of God. Nobody can think of that. Nobody would think to solve the problem of the chasm that, that sin caused between humanity and people in that way. Nobody. What we would do left to ourselves is how can I earn it back? How can I be good enough? What can I give? What can I do? And God's wisdom says you can't do anything. The only way to handle this is if I deal with the sin problem and then I forgive your sin and then I give you what you lack on your own so that you might know me and that I might be known by you. When God's people act in God's wisdom, God gets the glory. Some of you need wisdom. You're looking for it right now because you've got decisions laying ahead of you. Have you asked God for that wisdom? Others of you, you've never known such wisdom and you're going, I want it. I've, maybe I've seen tastes of it through people and maybe those people are people who had the wisdom of God because they have Christ. And maybe what you need to hear this morning is to get the wisdom of God, you've got to come to Christ. And God has done everything that needs to be done and you simply need to respond to what he's done. And perhaps he's calling you as Paul talked about today. And so let's go before the Lord and ask him, God, what do you have for me today? What's got my name written on it? And let's just see what he says, all right? So Father, we are grateful to you. How wise you are, because God, we cannot think of the things that you think of. We do not understand the things that you understand. We cannot fathom the things that you fathom. And 
hold the world and sustain the world, we cannot do the things you do. And God, yet you have caused all things to work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to your purpose. There's no way we could orchestrate those kind of things. And God, you have created all things for your glory through Christ. We couldn't think of the, the way that you've created things. And God, you, you, you have a way of operating that's altogether different than the type of wisdom that we would get apart from you. Your wisdom transcends creation. Your infinite wisdom transcends finite beings. And you give such wisdom to us. If we ask. And so God, I pray for those who lack wisdom today for a decision or guidance in life, that you'd give it. That they would humble themselves and ask and seek you for that which they lack. For others, God, they, they know they long for that wisdom that's beyond what they've ever known like I experienced at that time at that church. And so God, I pray that you would reveal to them your wisdom who is Christ, that they might respond by repentance and belief in Jesus, turning from what they're trusting in now and instead turning to Christ, that they might know the very wisdom of God and then grow in wisdom. God, Paul prayed a prayer that having your eyes, your, your, the eyes of your heart enlightened, having been enlightened, that you might grow in the depth and the knowledge of God and his wisdom. God, would you deepen your people here at Houston, here watching this video, across the world, deepen their wisdom as we deepen our understanding of you and who you are, that we might act in your wisdom, that you might receive the glory. And when we act in wisdom or when we buy into wisdom that's not of you, God, show us that by your spirit. Help us to discern what's of you and what's not of you, what's your voice and what's not. Help us cut through the noise that we might clearly hear your voice. God, you're so good to us. And you give us far more than what we need, oftentimes blessing us with what we want. God, I pray today that someone listening to this who has been asking you for things that they need because they're dependent upon you for their provision, daily, weekly, monthly, that God, not only would you provide that for them, but you would bless them with things that they're not even asking for, that would just overwhelm them with your kindness. Whether that is a financial blessing, whether that is a vehicle that they, they, they just could not imagine uh, or wouldn't even think about asking for, whether that's a home that they're, they're looking to buy that they would never ask for, a job or a pay raise. They're looking to you to just 
provide their daily bread. And here you're going to, to bless them far beyond that. God, I pray that you would do that for your glory so that they might be overwhelmed with your kindness today. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Okay, see you next week in this format and we'll be communicating with you as we need to as things develop. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you later.